Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. This week sees the return of Chopping Block, in which one of us assigns the other spooky homework in an attempt to help us tackle our collectively growing back catalogs. So Neil, last year we chatted with our pal Evan Miller from Rumorg Magazine about Murder House, and I decided it was uh, finally time to dive into Puppa Combo's uh, extensive lo-fi horror catalog, and... I didn't know where to really start. You know, it's one of those things where you start with the most recent and then you look back and it's like, well, okay, do I go with Nun Massacre? Do I go with Power Driller Killer? And so I reached out to you as you're my uh, my, my <laughs> horror games expert, as it were. Uh, and you recommended one of your favorites of his and that being uh, 2019's The Glass Staircase, mm, which yeah. is uh, sees the player take on the role of several girls who are at a strange manor in the English countryside. Uh, but as is usually the case, not everything is what it seems, and the player will unearth the horrors that reside within the manor. We've had this influx of listeners and whatnot, so I think we should start with a little bit of recap. Um, generally speaking, like, what about Puppet Combo's games make them a standout for you from, uh, you know, the countless other lo-fi horror titles that you've played, but also that are just kind of out there in the ether? Yeah, I've noticed in recent times that there is a the expected backlash to the idea of what Puppet Combat does. And, you know, you get the very much the, it's all the same, blah, 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 this, like that. And I think games like this prove that that's not true. You know, it's like, while the aesthetic is very similar, um, in, you know, you are going for this retro horror thing. It's never designed to be exactly like classic survival horror, which they all look like, and they all have aspects of, but I think he's always described it as being more influenced by film than the games. You know, it's like they, they play out like slasher movies and horror movies at the time rather than Resident Evil or Silent Hill or Clock Tower. You know, so that's what I've liked about it is in a place where so many of them will try to do that and be the next Resident Evil from back in the day or the next Silent Hill or whatever. And, you know, to varying success. I think having this uh, catalogue of games that use that same aesthetic throughout makes slight changes and can produce very different results for very, you know, for such a simple setup. So, yeah, like I said, this is a game that shows that in so many ways for me. Because while it, in theory, is a puppet combo game, it's probably the most distinct of the lot in terms of how it doesn't feel like the most puppet combo game at all. And yet it probably channels the vision of what he's going for more than anything, you know, and we'll get into that, I'm sure. But yeah, it is so much about that subset of games that he makes and that Jordan King makes for him and others make for him. Um, that really just taps into things that I like, not just about games, but about a certain period of cinema. And having, as we've discussed previously on this podcast, having an understanding of these things and and using them in the right way is really tricky. And these are games that generally manage to do that very well. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, over the course of the year, us doing you know Horror Bites, we've seen a lot of games that, channel that puppet combo aesthetic right Mm. and i think that 
when you actually, you know, it's funny that I've played so many of these like lo-fi horror games or, you know, PSX style horror games before I've actually, you know, gotten around to playing any of what seems to largely be the inspiration for those experiences, right? Kind of his signature style revitalizing that and whatnot. I mean, it really is a case of like, don't judge a game by its cover, right? In the sense that, you know, just because it might look similar to other titles or, you know, other titles are trying to evoke the magic of Puppet Combo, the horrifying magic of Puppet Combo's games. When you actually sit down and play one of his games, you know, no matter how they look, how they play and feel feels very distinctively different. Um, so I guess, you know, going from Murder House to The Glass Staircase, what is one element of The Glass Staircase that stands out to you as being very distinctive of his style? And like you said, we'll get into all of it, but like what stands out to you the most right off the bat? So it go- pretty much goes back to what I was saying about, you know, having a very specific uh, film feel. You know, um, whereas Murder House feels very much like an American 80s schlock fest, you know, in lots of ways. You know, the glass staircase is fulci, you know, in so many ways. It's not apparent at first, and in some ways it feels more argento than it does fulci. But it really does just become more and more like a fulci game, which is incidentally why I'm very excited about um, Jordan King, who's on Torture Star, the, the uh, publisher label that Puppet Combo books out. You know, his game, Night of the Gates of Hell, is pretty much fucking is the beyond and see the living dead and that that to me is like amazingly exciting but when this came out in 2019 i was very much into it from the beginning and i was like oh yes you know i mean it, i think when i was a uh, bloody disgusting at the time i you know this is one of the games i picked at end of year you know it was there because simply because it did that faulty thing so well whilst it had that aspect of it it made sense but it didn't it was very wishy-washy with reality but then did very puppet combo-y things you know and I think it's like I said the first game of the puppet combos I played where I was like oh okay yeah I this has something more to it than just what people would normally perceive of that of that developer and that's great because you know, I've long been saying this on this podcast that you can do the same stuff over and over again, you know, in terms of like look and aesthetic and you know, feel, but you, you can get away with it if you change enough and make different things. You know, Friday the 13th didn't get as far as it got because it stuck to the same idea, you know, whether <laughs> right. you agree with that or not in terms of what it ended up doing, you know, it went places and did different and daring things as a franchise and maintained it, its run you know, for as long as it did before legal disputes probably stopped that run from being as healthy as it would have been. And yeah, more so than say, like even Nightmare on Elm Street, I think it, it really did just, um, it was the only slasher theories I think that really tapped into the idea that fuck it, what's next sort of thing. You know, not keeping great continuity in terms of certain things, but also connecting every story to each other in a way that's like, so it all counts, it all connects, but we're going to change the rules up and bringing the strange absurdity into it. And to me, Puppet Combos games have that 
where they are all interconnected in their own way, whether canonically or not, but they can feel so different and feel like, yeah, I mean, the glass get yeah, the glass staircase very much feels like, you know, the sort of <laughs> the Jason film where oh, his telekinetic powers or his fucking Jason in space. You know, it's like it's not as ludicrous as that, but it's a switch into left field where you're like, oh, okay, I like this. I like where it's going. This is what I expect, but it's different. And yeah, so I was naturally very much all up for that. It definitely feels like a bit of a deviation from, you know, what I've played of Puppet Combos, but also, you know, just from what I've seen in terms of I've watched videos of the other games and coverage in these things. And that's not just saying like, oh, there's one element that's different or there's an element here that you haven't seen before. It's more more so just the attention to detail and like telling a story yes. that is done so in a very different way. And distinctly so. And it is, you know, still building off of that framework or scaffolding, if you will, from, again, you know, that era of, you know, PS2 horror, survival horror, you know, words that get associated with Puppet Combo a lot and things of that nature, like, oh, tank mm-hmm. controls on this and that. But really, that attention to telling a story in a distinctly different manner and, of course, you know, drawing from that heavy Fulci influence, it ends up making for a product that, at the end of the day, like it feels different as a whole rather than being like, oh, this one part is different or he's trying this differently, um, which I think really complements overall just like the attention and if you will, like the ethos behind the project itself. Yes. I think, you know, from as somebody like me that largely is uh, is ignorant to the overall catalog of his games, like just from the opening credit or uh, title screen of um, – the glass staircase, like just the logo itself looks very different. It looks mm. almost like cloud-like and it looks kind of like dream-esque, which sets the tone perfectly for the game, right? Because Absolutely. of the fact that it does end up dabbling in this dreamlike sense of reality. I think a lot of his games from what I've you know played and seen, and this is not like a criticism, but like they're very straightforward in what they are in the sense that it's like, this is the experience, this is the story, more or less, this is the pacing of what that's going to look like. But with The Glass Staircase, it, there's an unknowingness to the quality of storytelling, to what could be around the corner next, that it really did make for quite an intense experience in terms of like, I didn't know what to expect next. And especially, you know, having that, um, that you know, very heavily deriving influence from yeah. uh, the beyond, that just furthermore was just like, okay, I have an idea of what could be around the corner, but not truly knowing um, mm. And that's a quality to this game overall that I really like in terms of its storytelling. Uh, there, you know, like I had said, you are going to facilitate various girls that are at this manor, and we'll get a little bit more into that in a second. But I just like the fact that overall, no matter which part of the game you're at, in terms of which of the girls that you're controlling, what you know about them, what you're learning about the manor, the owners of the manor, the intention behind this manor, like clearly it's not just a normal orphanage yeah. right from the jump. I just like, though, that there is this sort of spacey quality and logic quality that the longer you're in the house or the manor itself, for somebody like me, at least, I didn't necessarily be like, okay, there has to be a definitive answer to this because there is sort of, again, this looseness to explaining things or the flow of logic behind this world and what happens within it. Yeah, it it does just leave things on the precipice. And I think the initial build... Does such a good job of that, of just 
building little hints of mystery and almost tells its story in novel form in terms of like, here is this character, you're going to go through the day with them. Now it's the next character, go through the day with them. And it giving you a little more hint each time as to what is going on but still not explaining the whole thing. And, you know, it all rounds out nicely and we get the whole story to a degree. And it turns out being, you know, very much a cosmic horror story. At the, the, the base of it, which again is just perfect for the, the, the full GS sort of aesthetic of it all. And yeah, it just goes a long way to showing that you can do a lot with this. You know, you can tell a very simple story but present it in a way that is enticing and interesting and makes you want to keep progressing like that i mean you are pretty much three times removed doing menial tasks going through the same routine slightly different outcomes and you know in theory that that's something you'd be like oh well that's just repeating the same trick again and again. But, you know, it works because it's telling a story. And this goes back to what I was saying. There are games that rely on film t- storytelling rather than game storytelling. So they follow that logic more. And so it works to have a repetition of, you know, each uh, girl's story, you know, and then to then play it out for the fourth time in a very different way you know, and have the revelations come from that. Uh, And yeah, that's exactly how it ends up being so distinct. Yeah, I think that, you know, to build off of what you were saying in terms of like the pacing of a film, I really love in terms of, you know, the way in which the glass staircase's narrative unfolds because like you begin, you don't know anything about the manor. All you know is, is that every day you're going to take on the role of one of these girls that wakes up, they're informed by, you know, this loudspeaker in their dormitory for lack of a better uh, way to describe it. And it basically just says like, you need to take your medication, which you don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. You need to do your chores, which each time you facilitate a new girl, you have a different chore, which is kind of like a menial task. And then you're promised of, you know, good girls go home, which it's like, well, wait a second. What the hell does that mean? Right. You kind of get (laughs) these little story beats that don't explain anything, but it does just enough to be like, well, I want to learn more about that, which furthermore, you know, really does fuel those menial tasks and whatnot. And the way in which the game incorporates the horror of it, I really like because, and it furthermore speaks to the progression overall, right? Of facilitating a different character at each of the different days. I think it runs through four days. And you're not only informed about the world in a different way, but furthermore, like, it teaches the player how to, you know, actually play the game, right? Each instance teaches you a new gameplay mechanic, or it gives you a little hint about the world itself or the greater narrative behind everything. And that's something that I think is really strong in terms of not only the storytelling, but the pacing overall. I mean, again, it's one of these experiences that could be finished in a single sitting. It's two hours at the most, and that's probably pushing it a little bit. But I think that, what I like the most about like the fact you're facilitating so many different characters is that each character is progressing the progress of the next girl, right? I mean, yeah. not, we're going to get into spoilers at some point, but I mean, just in general, <laughs> like the first three girls are going to be victims of the horrors that are awaiting the final girl, if you will. And yes. I just like that not only does each girl allow the player 
to learn more about the world and what's going on behind these horrors. But furthermore, it's allowing them to have a better grasp on like how the game is played, mm-hmm. what you need, what you think you're going to encounter, give you a general idea of what you'll encounter, even though, of course, there are a few surprises along the way. But what I like the most is that by the time you get to that fourth and final girl and, you know, the gameplay adds a new facet to it, but yeah, I would say fundamentally so, it feels like a natural progression. It doesn't kind of feel like this sharp turn. It feels like, oh, this game's been building to this moment. Yeah. This cathartic kind of, the player gets to, you know, fight back as it were. Yeah, it does indeed. And I think the subversion that comes in that final section, you know, where you, you're not just like the final girl, you know, you, it, there's some sort of motive and plan behind what's going on that, didn't really come across before then is a nice sort of twist on it. So it really does make it familiar yet, you know, surprising. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, when you're, we're talking about this being one of those like homages to retro survival horror games, you know, from a gameplay perspective, even if you, you know, say what you will about the tank controls and I have a qualm or two about, you know, the way the game (laughs) handles overall, which you know, I mentioned, but does not in any way hinder my overall enjoyment with the game. Yeah. I think more or less, again, speaking to the fact that like he knows the strengths of that, you know, specific genre of horror so fundamentally well, the deployment of it and the sort of stylistic trademarks of survival horror games, especially from the PS2 era, it comes across in a way that makes this so much more of a cinematic experience than I think we're used to, right? I mean, the way mm. in which He's able to use those fixed camera angles. The fact that he's able to like incorporate dynamic camera angles into that. The fact that it captures the sort of mood and atmosphere of the manor itself in a way that makes it more ominous, perhaps, than, you know, let's say Spencer Mansion, that it's like you can't go in any room in that mansion and not be reminded, oh, the undead are here. Whereas in the glass staircase, a lot more of the heavy lifting I find is done so in the way in which each of the environments is constructed, but it's not so much reliant on like, oh, there's a monster here, there's a monster there. If anything, Mm -hmm. you know, the bits of this game that have monsters in them, I find that they're more pronounced because they're so, I don't know, fleeting is the way to put it, but they're few and far between for a majority of the experience, which I think, again, speaks to the idea that, you know, you can have a game that is atmospheric and tense and scary and frightening and all of these things, and, you know, a good half of that experience can be built upon, you know, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like vibes, right? <laughs> yeah. Which I think something like um, Fulci's The Beyond, right? Not to say that that movie does not go in some horrific monster routes and insect routes, arachnid routes and whatnot. Like, there are some of the scariest parts of that movie, though, that don't have monsters in them. It's mm-hmm. more just about the atmosphere and the sense yeah. of dread, without the actual things that are creating that dread being in the frame. Absolutely. And you know what? I will talk about that in more depth in the second part. But we're going to take a a quick break and we'll get more into that uh, when we return. And we are back chatting the glass staircase. And Neil, why don't you uh, keep unpacking that? Because we left on a good point there. Yeah. So to go into your thing about the cameras and the camera perspective, I think that does work so well in sort of conveying the, the sudden abrupt sort of nature of the horror of this game. 
Um, I think of the maze sequence, yeah, where you are. So good. Yeah, you are pretty much just going through this maze. You know something's going to happen because, I don't know, it's learned logic, if you know what I mean. You, you know, especially mm-hmm. if you come from that era of survival horror and the fact that it, when it happens and that moment happens, you are pretty much abruptly hit with it. And it's done in such a casual manner that it's alarming in itself. It is, it hits in a way. That, and again, it feels very fulchy where it's like, it's just there, you know, and then it's done and then you're back and then, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, fulchy probably then would have spent 20 minutes, you know, dangling precariously on an eyeball or something, but yeah, <laughs> budgets are what they are and you can't, you can't uh, have all that going on all the time. So yeah, I, I think things like that really do help you know, promote the idea of what fixed cameras have always brought to the, the horror game genre. And, you know, it's, it's what you don't see. And, I think we found in more 3D spaces that the way around that has been darkness. You know, that, that's been the way to do it. You know, it's like, what can you not see? You know, liminal space, things like that. You, you want to find ways to make that unnerving. Where it, here it is literally that what can't you see around the corner? You know, logically you can see around the corner. And that was always a, th- that is what you can't capture, even in when you go over the shoulder in, in games, is that you can't capture this idea of if I turn this corner, I'm whether I hear anything or not, I don't know exactly what I'm going to be facing, no matter how familiar I am with the environment. You know, I think to playing like Resident Evil or Resident Evil Remake, and no matter how many times you go around the same corners, knowing what should be there, you can still get caught out because the timing of things can change little little instances of it. You know, if you fast through or if you slow through, it can mean the difference between getting surprised or not. And, yeah, that, the illogical nature of that, the idea that you, you sh- can't see what you really should be able to see, is makes it this sort of surreal kind of horror. And that especially works for the glass staircase because again it taps into that sort of fulci dreamlike thing where yeah of course it, it makes sense that you wouldn't see something that's right in front of your face like that and you are very much feel like you're playing through the dream you know in that regard and so yeah i i really think that is the greatest aspect of using the fixed camera idea here is that you have that in conjunction with this Fulci style dream world and the uncertainty that that brings on both sides and marrying really does just make this whole experience unique, you know? Yeah. And, you know, taking it back a second to what you mentioned about the maze segment, Hmm. I think that that again is like a very sort of classical horror moment, right? You know, you go all the way back to the shining, of course, you know, running around, getting lost in the maze, Assuming something's going to show up and, you know, just as you start to get comfortable, it does show up and then, you know, you have to face that reality. But what I really like about that moment is that first day, you're inside the manor for a portion of it and you hear this, you know, the torrential rain 
downpour, right? Yeah. And how that adds so much to just the overall atmosphere, the fact that you're basically like wondering, oh, well, is this masking the sound of something else that's waiting for me? And then as soon as you get to the maze, I, I believe once you step outside, the rain stops. And if anything, like that creates an anxiety in me where before yeah. I was hyper-focused to be like, oh, is this masking something? And now I'm hyper-focused because there's nothing distracting, you know, from what could potentially be footsteps or, you know, moans and groans from some hell that is hiding and waiting <laughs> for me. And, you know, that from just a design standpoint, I think, again, is such a strong example of crafting tension without being, you know, immediately chased by something or yeah. immediately having the monster, you know, that is inevitably going to show up, show up immediately. Um, and I think that even though, you know, at the end of that initial maze segment, you do encounter the monster, but it is very fleeting. It's at a skewed angle, so you don't see the entirety of it. And then it fades to white, like in uh, Silent Hill or Resident yeah. Evil or something like that. And then it moves on very briskly, which, you know, that is indicative of the best horror films, right? We've talked about the third act, the three act structure of horror movies and the fact that if you show everything in the first act, well, all of a sudden the second and third act are being undercut. So mm -hmm. the idea that the first act of this game, you're given a glimpse that follows the logic of a film. And I think that that's why, you know, at the end of the day, when you get to the end of that experience and you get to see the monster in its full, you know, mutated glory, if you will, yeah. um, it's a little more pronounced. It's a little more effective than typically just because, you know, for a lot of horror games, I feel, and it's unavoidable, you know, when you're talking about a 10 hour experience or so where, yeah, you're going to see the monster earlier than if you were in a film. But at the same time, like it's nice to play a horror survival game and specifically like a puppet combo game that so fundamentally understands that film influence, not just from a storytelling perspective or an environment, you know, crafting experience, but from a narrative storytelling experience. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's probably one of the strongest elements of this game, again, is that it's able to scale the scares in a way that they match the pacing of what tops out at, you know, an hour and 45 minute or two hour experience. But it feels more fulfilling than your typical kind of survival horror game where, okay, every 30 feet, there's going to be something for me to shoot or something yeah. for me to avoid. Um, and I think, you know, it lets the environment do a lot of heavy lifting for a majority of the experience. And then it has that massive payoff at the end that I think the glass staircase clearly does. But yeah, I think that's a facet that leads into the next thing, which I want to talk about, which is, you know, the fact that a large portion of the storytelling is told through letters and notes. And, you know, that's not a new concept of survival horror, no, but no. I think that here, the writing of it, I was, again, you know, we mentioned uh, previously in an episode of Horror Bites, right? You never want to say you're surprised by something in like these smaller experiences because it sounds dismissive. But again, it's always refreshing when you play so many of these bite-sized experiences that run through, you know, a variety of production values or size or scale or scope. Like the writing in this, I found to be really phenomenal in terms of not mm. only clearly establishing the players that you don't necessarily meet, but it tracks a number of years of the history of this place that makes it feel like a lived in space in a way that I typically only attribute to like walking simulators or something along that line. Yeah. Yeah. With that brisk pace that you have, it, it is a lot of information delivered in a very natural manner. And, and that's great because 
you know, it, it does everything it needs to do. And if you want that bit more information about what's going on, it's there. And I like that fluidity of it, you know, that it has the ability to just play it one way or the other, if you so wish. And you don't have to care about the story to get the most out of it, but it helps, you know. I think it really draws you into the world with, you know, you know very little. It doesn't have to have a lot of notes, and it doesn't, to sort of tell the story in the way it does. So, yeah, grand stuff. I think, though, like what I'm most impressed about with the the notes and the letters is the connectivity between them. And, you know, yeah. there are large and this kind of fuels that dreamlike sense that the entire game is wrapped up in. There are letters that you'll read something from, you know, uh, I think it's like 1918 and then you'll find a note that's like 1922 or something like that. Right. And of course, people might miss things if they're not going to explore. But I never felt as if. I was missing like a crucial piece of information that mm. would make it all that much clearer, right? Yes. Of course, if you find every note and you scour and you read through every page, yeah, you'll have a better grasp on things. But I was so surprised at the fact that like I surely missed a letter or two. But at the same time, I never felt as if it was a detriment to my understanding of the overall picture of things. Yeah. I think that every one of the letters informs the player on some detail or reveal something about the, you know, the world or a character themselves that, you know, furthers your understanding, but at the same time, you don't feel completely lost. And I think that that's a rarity, right? I think that a lot of the times when you're talking about the ways in which a game tells its story, it's like, well, if you miss this one thing, you're going to be lost. Or if you miss this, then you lack context for overall, like why things are the way that they are. But with this, even with those blind spots, potentially, everything kind of like connects in a way that allows the story to flow in a mm-hmm. way that's a little stronger, I think, than some of the other maybe survival horror games that rely on that storytelling mechanic that we've played have done so. Yeah. And I think a big part of the structure that works quite well for it is that by playing as the you know the victims, so to speak, first, you, you are introduced to this sense of helplessness you know you have nothing to fight with you are not given a chance to fight stuff just happens to you you are basically you're viewing it how it should be that you are being led like lambs to the slaughter yeah and the only difference with the final character is they have some sort of idea of what's going on and have a plan of action and that's you know that's why they get out of the situation you know they get they break the loop so to speak and yeah it just makes that whole finale just i mean yeah when we talk about this vulture stuff you know earlier in the game it's more a case of like an atmosphere and vibe and you know oh look it's like the mansion from the beyond and all there's you know i mentioned that it felt more argento early on because it you know it did because there's a bit of phenomena in there a bit of suspiria in there and but it's when you get to that final girl section, if you will, that it really does just start to become more and more Fulci-esque. And, you know, you have, like, bodies rising and all that shit. And But then you have this absurd thing of this protagonist with a shotgun thing, you know, wearing, you know, this very super girly dress and 
it's such a cool visual, you know, to have. And the way it ends up playing out and, you know, we'll get into it now that, you know, once she's destroyed everything, destroyed the monster, uncovered the secret of everything, you know, she walks out to be greeted by, you know, a, a, a black suited man in limo, <laughs> which, you know, Straight away, like, oh, okay, so there's, there's something more to this. You know, there, there was a plan. There was a definite plan of action beyond just, like, I'm going to escape from here. It was a, was you here to, you know, infiltrate this and like Break that? Break that and, cycle. You know, because she sees the girls that have perished before, you know, and um, as she leaves. And it's a nice bit of ambiguity to it, you know, that um, leaves... A few questions and a few theories to be thrown about without you know, being like a shrug at the shoulders. I didn't know what to do sort of thing. It's very much like a, it, you can totally interpret it that way and have that, you know, separate thing of like, well, what about this? And what about that? You know, I mean, there's a definitive end to certain aspects of that story that, means you can't interpret any other way, you know, like um, with one of the girls showing up in that finale and being like a deranged, you know, experiment and the revelation of, you know, the announcements being nothing but pre-recorded messages and that you're basically being duped into being sacrifices and it being this sort of overly silly plan, you know, to get, the girls to do what they want to get them to the right place. You know, it, it just, it reeks of mad scientist vibes. And that's great because that really does just suit everything about what you learn about the game to that point. So yeah, it, it all works out and just leaves so many questions on the table whilst answering plenty as well. And I think that that, that is key to why it, it just sticks with me to this day. Yeah. And, you know, once we're leaning more into talking about, you know, the day four where the perceived final girl section of the game, and that's when really, you know, you get a look at the monstrosities and the depraved creations of, you know, essentially the manner that belongs to this traumatized uh, soldier that basically has been, you know, consumed by some type of cosmic element that is pursuing him to build this hellish machine that then kind of like is wrapped up into the, you know, the, the revitalizing of corpses. And then they end up being these deranged bodies that somehow a cult has gotten involved and is like showing up to the manor. Like, this is why I love the, the letters so much because it details bits of fragments of what has been going on in between the, you know, the days and what's been happening, you know, weeks and months or potentially years leading up to the, you know, the player uh, arriving at the manor or whatnot, um, but then once you actually get to like face the hellish creations, there's a good amount of variety there too, right? I yeah. think the first instance where you have like a mini boss fight, you face one of the girls that you literally controlled earlier in the game, right? Yeah. And she's not only deranged or like a zombie, but now she's completely naked chasing you around a morgue with the knife, right? And I think that at that point when the game fully leans into, you know, the survival part of survival horror and gives the player a weapon they can fight back just because you have a weapon though it's the type of thing that again it speaks to puppet combos understanding the genre and that just because you have a weapon 
doesn't make you feel like you're a super soldier all of a sudden, right? And I will say this is one of my qualms with it is that, you know, the shooting is not as tight as it should be, which, you know, works in two ways, a source of frustration, but also reminiscent of that era, right? Because none of those games that have tank controls for the most part, you know, were, uh, were as fluid as maybe they should have been. But at the same time, like that in and of itself, I think fuels what is already a frightening predicament of having this person running between different slabs that have bodies on them. But then at the same time, like sometimes your shots aren't going to line up perfectly, which adds furthermore a hesitation to it. But then you go from that to fighting what is, I would say, heavily influenced by the tyrant of Resident Evil, right? That's the first Mm -hmm. big boss fight when you're fighting in the laboratory and it's equally monstrous and equally hellish and chasing you around and whatnot. But then the game goes from that to like, oh, you're in the catacombs and you're being chased by zombies and cultists and all these things. And that is, for me, what was the most fulci about this game was the fact that the horrors are continually evolving and continually being surprising in a way that makes them, you know, of course, unknowing to a certain extent, but also there's an anxiety there that you keep trying to anticipate what's coming next. Yeah. And it really is something that you can't fully anticipate. Yeah, you really can't. And yeah, it it does work out well. And just to go back to this, uh, you know, whole tank control with combat that we get, yeah, I think the greatest defense of that is not that you can't excuse it on a character level so much because you have this question lurking over, overhead, which is, you know, well, if this character is an operative brought in to do this job, then maybe they should be you know, better at weaponry. But what I think is that when we go back to this talk of like a dreamlike environment and, you know, one of the, the aspects of a dream that you, you take into consideration is that you had this almost sluggish, you know, stuck in sand sort of sensation about your movement and how very logical sensations and and movements should be easy, you know, but they aren't like that. So a shotgun wielding girl, you know, whatever <laughs> skill level should be able to take out another girl of the same size in an area but the cameras give you that sort of nightmarish feel where you're like i'm not quite sure I, I, i'm disorientated by this situation and yeah again that's intentional or not that that taps into that perfectly where you are straight away thinking okay i am now living that sort of like running in treacle feeling of I don't have the control I should have in this situation. Logic has been thrown out the window. And that to me was always the great beauty of tank controls in general is that no matter how natural or unnatural they feel to you, they do have that quality to them where you are just thinking, oh, yeah, this, this doesn't feel exactly right. But you know you can get used to it and you can control it as such, but it can catch you out in the wrong moment and disorientate you, and that that's exactly what it should be. It should feel like a waking nightmare you know, in any survival horror game that uses them. And if you're just using those for 
the sake of it, you know, then it's not going to work. I think um, we're talking about this now, and I think it's a public convo has actually brought this up only recently about, you know, being quite natural with tank controls and never really seeing the problem with them. And uh, October Rourke, who works at Rely on Horror, brought up the fact, you know, I think it's more to do with the camera than with the controls and how that's implemented. And that's very true. I think that is, I, I agree with that very much, that it's understanding that balance between camera and control. And if you have the patience for it, it will work. But if that isn't done properly, it can be a problem. I think here, given the context of everything, I think it works quite well. It really does work, you know, in tandem with, again, the pacing of everything and the fact that, you know, my most frustrating moments as fleeting and few as they were with the game they're towards the later half of the game. But at the same time, you know, whether it's artificially created or not, right, the sort of anxiety or tension that's built upon that really does play well when you're in the finale of the experience, yeah. right? The fact that you're not encountering a great deal of those is- issues that I had, you know, throughout the entire experience, but more so towards the finale when, you know, more monsters are being introduced, a, ver- a variety of, you know, foes are being introduced and whatnot, that the fact that those moments are isolated to the end of the experience when things are the most heightened, when they're the most tense, when the stakes are the highest, again, that comes back to just the idea of this having the pacing of a movie in yeah. a way that, you know, f- so few of these types of experiences actually are able to replicate with the same level of proficiency that, the Glass Staircase does, but also in general, what I found with a lot of these puppet combo games that I've played, you know, it it is a uh, rare talent, I think, and speaks to, again, the idea that somebody not only understands the error that they're trying to emulate, and they're successfully emulating, I would say, but also an understanding of just like what makes films, horror films mm-hmm. work. Um, you know, I think sometimes people are like, well, if I take the aesthetic that has worked in the puppet combo games, but then it's always kind of a very evident early on in those experiences when it's like, oh, you're able to replicate the way something looks. You're not able to replicate the feel that clearly yes. these games go to great pains to replicate from film. Um, and I think that that's always apparent in yes. a big way, playing a lot of those types of, you know, lo-fi PSX style experiences that we've you know talked about and played now. Uh, quite a few of, but whenever you do stumble upon one that really nails the pacing, it's always almost instantly apparent because it doesn't begin with a big in-your-face moment or spectacle or doesn't, you know, doesn't reveal too much early on in a manner that at the end of the day, you get to the third act and you're like, well, yeah, this is what I expected because I was shown this in the first 15 minutes or so. Yeah. Yeah. It, it takes you on that kind of roller coaster and Again, when you go into that sort of idea of combat and escalation in the final act of such games, it follows the logic of film, you know, where it's like, well, you should easily escape from this situation if you do X, Y, and Z, but people don't act like that in situations like that. That's the idea. It seems like they should, but the illogical is the logical thing that ends up happening because, you know, you don't do the logical thing because you haven't got the time or the thought process to think about that unless you're a fucking John Wick you ain't gonna <laughs> sort of turn around and go yeah well obviously I just do this this and this and bonsai they're dead 
but it's yeah, it's more the general idea of like an every everyday person being thrust into a situation, and even someone here where it seems like they're maybe not every day, they're still thrust into a situation which is like, what the fuck? I didn't right. expect this. And so you can understand why it wouldn't quite be as easy as like, well, just blast them all away and smash them to shit. That'll be fine. It, you know, it's not going to happen because this isn't a normal situation. And that, that's where horror works the best. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that, again... The way this game ends is perfect because it perfectly encapsulates not only what I would assume is the ethos behind this specific experience and ultimately it's what makes this a standout from the other puppet combo games I've seen or played Mm. uh, and it feeling very unique. And that's not to say, you know, there aren't plenty of other unique or standout uh, experiences that puppet combo has made. It's just that this one, I think you really do have to compliment it at it feeling so distinctly different from everything else that he's done while building upon, you know, what these games are beloved for, right? I think that the fact that you're able to go from experiences that are building upon or built from a similar toolbox, and yet you can play something like the Glass Staircase and be like, oh, this feels like it's got a distinctly different influence while still succeeding in a way that, you know, channels those classic uh, survival horror games and whatnot is a true testament to the talent behind these games. And yeah, I can't wait to dive into more of these games because if anything, your recommendation has further uh, further fueled my need to go back and play the rest of that Puppet oh, Combo uh, catalog. <laughs> That's good. Good to hear. But uh, yeah, until next time, Neil, it's been a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Okay, yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also tweet us or email us at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover in the future. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.